Recorded live. Yes, Brother Shorty, with taking uh with the uh seeking justice resource community. And uh we have some teaching by Bill Thornton this evening. We're gonna be playing some of his recorded uh legal teachings and uh we're gonna be uh having guests come on. We've invited people from various areas of the map to join the group. And those that will join will get an opportunity to speak and ask questions and to uh, maybe find some answers to their uh, legal dilemmas. And uh, we're going to start off with Bill Thornton, and he's going to teach us how to suspend the judge when we go into court, which is one of the first things that he likes to do. And here's Bill. Well, basically, like I started off a moment ago, to pique your interest. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to the end of the talk and tell you what I do when I go to court. The very first thing I do with the court, before I even enter the court, I suspend the judge. The judge may not make any decisions whatsoever. He cannot make a decision against me, he cannot make a decision for me. If he makes a decision against me, I'll issue a court order vacating his decision. If he makes a decision for me, I'll issue a court order vacating his decision. If I like the decision, I'll issue another order granting it. But I do not let the judge make any decision at all, not one, okay? Not on his own. <clears throat> there is one case and that case is on this CD, where the judge didn't get the message, and he issued a second decision after I had vacated his first decision. And by the way, when I vacate a decision, I don't just do like judges do and issue orders. What I do is I have an introduction to the order, which is a small course in, in law for the judge to read. I don't care about the attorneys. But the, uh, it's written for the judge. It's written on his level, and it educates him as to why it is that I'm number one and he's number two. Then I give him the order. Okay, he gets it as a package. Now, there was one judge who didn't get the message. So what I did was I fined him for contempt of court. Okay? <laughs> the founding fathers really understood abuse of power. They had it up to their eyeballs with Mr. King. Old King George up there, he really was having a good time with all his uh, military coming over and harassing us, killing our people, raping them, robbing them, and not getting convicted, not punishing his soldiers. We had it. I mean, and if you want to understand the situation, just go back and read the Declaration of Independence. That's a wonderful statement of what the problem was about and why we reacted to King George. We didn't want to leave the king. We were very loyal as a people. But there were the abuses. The founding fathers understood this. Well, they didn't really understand it. They first tried the uh, Confederacy. That didn't really work so well. So the Constitution was the second attempt at it. Now, in my opinion, the Constitution is one of the finest documents ever, ever created. 
but it's being ignored. And you see problems around you today, in my opinion, they're not because of the Constitution, they're because the Constitution is being ignored. And why is it being ignored? Because ignorance is rampant now. They do not teach civics in school anymore. The very first school that was mandatory, public school, the very first mandatory public school was populated under military supervision. The children were escorted to the school against the parents' wishes by the military, not the police, but the military. Now, why was it so important for the federal government or whatever government was that brought the soldiers out, why was it so important for them to go to that extreme, which basically was illegal, unconstitutional? Well, because the key to population control is mindset, and they had to get them in. From the 1850s to the 1950s, they gradually stripped out the subject of civics and replaced it with a new subject called American government. Has anybody seen that in school? Okay, what's the difference? Civics, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says something to the effect that is that branch of political philosophy that concerns personal rights. It does not concern government, it concerns personal rights. They quit teaching that. <clears throat> I want you to understand, when the Constitution was formed, or actually when we declared our independence in 1776, we were not an uncultured, boorish bunch of people. We were not a bunch of backwoodsmen. That's what they like to tell us. They like to leave us with the impression that, uh, you know, we're just a bunch of, uh, I guess, you know, random people that decided to rebel. Just to put it in perspective, I want you to realize that in 1776, Harvard University was over 100 years old, okay? We were a cultured society. We had our customs, we had our usages. We were equal to England in terms of our development. They like to tell us that the United States is over 200 years old. Well, when you talk of the culture here, we're over 400 years old. We were established. And out of those experiences, we developed the Constitution. Who, are, who do I mean by we? I mean we the people. Okay? So, anyway, let's get into this. <clears throat> On this CD, this CD is Law Notes. And that's just what it is. This is not a complete CD. It just has some notes that I've accumulated over time. Um, on, the, on the cover page here, you'll see there's law notes and there's the example. The law notes, that's the theory. The example is an actual case where the theory got applied. Okay? So this case involved uh, an automobile going through a stop sign and injuring a rider on a bicycle. And it resulted in, uh, I don't know, $50,000 or $75,000 in surgery, plus a lot of ongoing treatments. Interesting feature of the uh, 
of the uh, vehicle code, and that is that if the driver is under is a minor and has a driver's license uh, with the okay of the parents, then any accident that that minor gets into, the liability is limited to $15,000. Who do you think pays the rest? The victim. The victim. It also says that the parents are limited to 15000 liability. And on top of that, the aggregate total of the liability of both the child and the parent is $15,000. So the bottom line is $15,000. That's your limit. Victim pays the rest. That's how the statutory system seems to work. Well, this is common law. Under common law, we have a little different approach. Under common law, we look at this and we say, well, one of the principles of common law is there shall not be no remedy. There must be a remedy for every injury. So if there isn't a remedy, we can make up a remedy. Okay? That's one of the principles. Also, it's, a, it's an established principle in case law that the state of California, or any government, is not responsible for what happens among the people, okay, or the citizens. They're not really responsible as long as they just pass the rules but don't participate, okay? So the legislature makes up the rules, we call them statutes and codes, but they're not responsible, they hold no liability for those rules. Okay, each and every citizen is responsible for his own behavior, okay? And uh, the state's not responsible. However, if the state jumps in and participates, then the state assumes a liability. Well, take a look at this. Here's the vehicle code. That's the set of rules. Fine. Now, do we have driver education programs? Do we have quality control experts out there called traffic cops? Okay. Do we have a number of administrative things? So what we said is, well, plus we have one more factor, and that is that this individual called the state of California is a third-party intervener. We don't care how much the uh, child and parent are protected by the third-party intervener if the third-party intervener is willing to cover the cost, cover the, the liability, right? It's only fair. I mean, your common gut feel tells you that's fair. So that's what the common law is all about. Common law is common sense. It really is. What is common law? It's public opinion. What do all of you think? What would you think if you were on a jury in a common law case before you and somebody said apply common sense? That would make sense. So that's what we sued them on. This case is ongoing. We have yet to write the final judgment. We're almost there. Actually, we are there. We just have to write it. So what you have here is everything except the final judgment, but you don't need the final judgment because all the principles are on this CD, okay? I'd like to point out something else. Many years ago, there was a fellow named Cicero, and this is on the CD. I just, I'm not going to hunt for it right now, but it's on there. Cicero said that a few men live by reason. Most live by experience. The remainder 
live by necessity, and the animals live by nature. Now, what he's saying here, let's start at the top. Most men, I mean a few men, live by reason. What this means is that you look at something. Here's A, here's B, and out of the A and B you conclude this is C. Okay? You hear a noise on the roof, and you conclude without looking out the window that it's raining. Okay? You draw your conclusions from the facts that are before you. This approach that I'm using requires you to think. Don't ask me for an example. I already gave you one. It's called example. So when you go looking through this stuff, you're going to have to be on top of it. There's a real simple rule of law that sometimes we forget. And what it is, it's actually a maxim of law. And what it says is that the law does not protect he who slumbers on his rights. Okay? The law is not going to go out and see if you're in trouble and protect you. Now, if you don't have the intellectual power, then you're considered to be one of those who's slumbering on his rights. The law won't protect a person who's dumb. So, you'll have to, I don't know who's smart and who's dumb, but I'll tell you this. If you use this approach, you're going to have to be on top of it. You're going to have to be able to reason your way through because if you don't apply your reasoning powers, then it won't work. They'll pull a quickie on you and you won't figure it out. The very first time I ever issued a court order was really interesting. The guy was in jail and he asked me to help out and I was just fresh studying this stuff. But I had formed some ideas. So he understood sovereignty, and he, had, he was careful to guard his position. So the municipal court had him and in jail, and so he moved for habeas corpus in the superior court. Superior court rubber-stamped a no on it, so he made a second motion for habeas corpus. They said no again. So then what he did, he, that, it was after that that I got involved. And he said, um, he understood the sovereignty. So what we talked about it, and what we had him do is appoint me as a special master in his court. Now, a special master has any power that the sovereign will allocate to him. There's no limit on a, on a magistrate, or a special master, I mean, if the sovereign grants it to him. So in this case, he granted me the power to... Uh, take uh, depositions to investigate and do a whole bunch of other stuff and to hold hearings, okay? So while I was working on the case, we heard a rumor, jailhouse rumor, that they were going to uh, bring his case up on the following uh, Monday. So that Monday, I dressed up like an attorney. I had a pinstripe suit and tie. I looked very much like an attorney. <clears throat> And I got there early, and I managed to wangle an audience with the judge, went into the judge's chambers. And I said to the judge, I said, I've been appointed as a special master in the Superior Court. And by the way, I had it filed, and I had a certified copy in my hands. And 
That was Bill Thornton. That was Sovereignty 101. And uh, in the first part, he talked about suspending the judge. In the second part, he talks about uh, assigning a special master. And so I will continue with the special master and bring it back to where he suspended the judge. And so here's Sovereignty 101, video number two. And, and the appointment, by the way, was made by the sovereign himself, the guy who had moved for habeas corpus, because it was his court, see? And I'll explain that in a few minutes. <clears throat> so he appointed me, uh, I mean, he, he listened to me a moment, and I said, the reason I'm here, I'm not here to discuss the case. I don't want to impose on you in that way. I was very polite to him. But I said, there's some unusual things that are happening here, and I just wanted to give you you know, a heads up on it, letting you know that I'm here to conduct business, not to stir up anything, okay? So I said, great, he appreciated that. Let me tell you something, these, these judges, some of them are really human, okay? I had a little luck, as I found out later, he was much smarter than most judges. I didn't know it at the time, but it turned out this guy was really pretty sharp for a municipal court judge. But um, anyway... As I was talking to him, the prosecutor came in. He took one glance at me, obviously a fellow attorney, and so he started talking to the judge. And lo and behold, he's going to talk about the very same case I'm in. And you know that an attorney is not supposed to go in without the other party, right? So here I had him cold. <laughs> now, it was okay for me to be there because I was not representing him. I was an officer of the court, the superior court. And besides, I wasn't discussing the case anyway. I was just letting him know that I, would, I had a purpose. Well, the judge was pretty sharp. He, he cut that off real quick. <laughs> of course, if I wanted to push the issue, it was too late for the guy. But I let him off the hook. But we got out. When he called the case in the courtroom... I stood up and I had on my right the public defender that had been appointed to the case, and on my left I had the, the district attorney. And at some opportune moment I got a chance to speak. I was standing right between them. So the judge says to me, uh, we talked back and forth, he, he wants to know what's happening here, and I said, well, I said, um, I said, I'm from the, uh, I've been appointed as a special master in the Superior Court of the State of California, and I am here today to observe the proceedings in this master, and I'm here and now declaring the Superior Court of the State of California open and in session. So now we had one courtroom and two courts. And so then, we started discussing it, and I said to the judge, I said, um, there were some uh, issues here uh, involving common law and uh, so on, and I said, and so he told me, he says, well, he says, you know, he says the common law doesn't have any standing in this court. And I said to him, I said, I agree. However, the Miranda decision, Miranda versus Arizona, says that where uh, substantive rights are concerned, there shall be no rulemaking. That wasn't quite correct, It's but close enough. So he acknowledged that. He said, okay, yeah, he, he respected the Miranda decision. So then uh, he says, well, what do you want from me? Now, that was a trap because I don't want anything from him, but my court does. 
my sovereign does. So it's very important that I didn't say what I wanted. Instead, I represented the court. So I said to him, it is the wish of the Superior Court that the Municipal Court release jurisdiction of this matter to the Superior Court until such time as the issues in the Superior Court are settled. Okay? And so he said, I'll do that if you will give me the order in writing. So I said, well, I came here, and I can speak for myself, see? I said, I came here with an order half prepared because I didn't know exactly how things would go, but I said, if you will recess the case, I'll complete the order and deliver it to you upon recall. So he said, great. So he recessed the case, moved on to other business. In the meantime, I went out and I hand printed the rest of it and did the copy machine thing. You know, it was quite a, quite a race there because I wanted to be back soon. So I got back there and he, he recalled the case. Now, before I go into what happened, I'd like to tell you something else that happened in that case. In that first session, we had a moment where we were both collecting our thoughts, the judge and I. The district attorney stood up and she said, Your Honor, who is this man? I don't know who he is. I don't know what he's doing here. Silence. The judge just sat there and looked at her. She sat down, and then he turned back to me, and he picked up on our conversation as though she was not in the room. Now, you know how cozy district attorneys and judges are. Was that an insult or what? Now, there I was with my knees shaken because, you see, I was operating on reason. I had no experience to look to. I couldn't ask anybody what happens, blah, 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 okay? It was pure, raw reason. But my research told me I was right. But my knees were shaking towards me. I was scared because I, I knew I was kind of out on the, you know, <laughs> on the plank on this one. So anyway, when that happened, I instantly knew I was on the right track because no way would any judge ever treat a district attorney that way. No way would he give a third-party intervener such as myself the amount of time he gave. Right? You know that. But he did here, so I was doing something right. So anyway, back to the second session. I delivered the order to him. He read it into the record, and then he ordered it to be filed in the record, and then he closed the case for that moment, and that was it, okay? He accepted the order. Now, I'm sure he was going to do some research and decide whether or not to arrest me and so on. You know, but as it turned out, it worked. And now, <clears throat> what I'm telling you here doesn't always work, okay? Gandhi made it clear that passive resistance works extremely well. He beat England with passive resistance. Using passive resistance, he liberated all of India from England. We have the same thing here. These techniques, we've been pretty successful 
at stopping the government. We have not been successful at getting the government to pay. Why? Because passive resistance works for the government too. They say, make us. Okay, pretty hard to make it. So what you have to do is when you, when you do these things, you have to put their paychecks at risk. That's when you get their attention. Okay? As long as they're secure in their paychecks, and you know how bureaucrats are, they're all in. Did you get that? You have to put their paycheck at risk before you can get their attention. And then things change. More with Bill Thornton. Insecure. You know, they, bureaucrats uh, don't like to take risks. They're, they're non-risk takers. And when you start suing them and including them in it and making a reasonable lawsuit for where it looks like, hmm, I might lose this one, all of a sudden their attitudes change. Also, another thing that, that is really, really important is attitude. Okay? Attitude is one of the key things. Um, I do not buy into the concept that the government is evil. What I do buy into is that there's a lot of abusers in government. And what I, my own experience has been that if you do your paperwork right, and of course if you have a high enough risk assessment on their paychecks, um, there are a lot of people in government who will back you up if you give them the tools to work with. There are a lot of people who don't agree with what the government's doing who are in government, but they're not gonna put their jobs at risk. They will put their jobs ahead of your liberty. So you've gotta give them the tools with which to protect you, because they're not gonna do it on their own. And so um, we've had a number of turnarounds where the judge, who was a real tiger on the bench, suddenly became a lamb and sweet as pie. Why? Wasn't anything that we directly said as far as we knew, and yet he did a 180. Well, I know a leopard doesn't change his spots. Isn't that the old story? So what happened? Well, what happened, and I'm theorizing because I don't know, but my theory is, is that we must have got him boxed in, and somebody, one of his perhaps wiser colleagues, told him, you better quiesce this thing or you might get in trouble. See, that's what I can figure. That's what must have been happened. Or they might have just told him it was flat out wrong. So all I know is that I select my target. I select my strategy. I go straight toward it as best I can. And I trust that there are honest people behind the scenes who I will never meet, never know about, but who will back me up if they can do so without risk. And how do they do it without risk? They look at the paperwork, and the paperwork's solid, and they let the guy know, hey, this is solid. Watch out. These guys might get you. You better, you better get rid of this as fast as you can. Okay? That, to me, and I count that as a win, even if I didn't collect any money. So, anyway, that's my little two cents worth of philosophy on that subject. Well, what I, like I said, I can't cover in great detail everything, but I'm just going to skim along and introduce you to some ideas which I think you'll like. Let's go to the law notes. Oh, well, before that, I want to tell you about the devil and Daniel Webster. Okay? Um, 
this is a great little story written in uh, 1936, I think it was. And um, the, um, the reason I put this story in here is because Daniel Webster was an attorney, among other things. The real Daniel Webster. This is a fictional story. It's a great little short story. First appeared in the Saturday Evening Post in 1936. And um, what I like about it is it is the common law in action. And there's the accuser. The magistrate came in. The, uh, the jury was there. It was a jury of all Americans. I think uh, what the pirate teach was on there few other interesting guys. They were all picked by the devil, okay, because it was his court, because he was the accuser. But uh, this, it's such a neat little story, and it has some very, very wise advice. By example, it has some wise advice on how to deal with a jury. So, entertaining story. I think everybody should read it, and so that's why I put it in. Okay, so uh, if you want to uh, send me any email, click on the email content comments, and that will bring up the, the email. Well, Poco Mail is my, one of my little packages I use. I didn't intend that, but okay. Okay. Um, oh, I just little footnote here, totally unrelated to this, but time for some entertainment. I was over at a labor union the other day in their offices, and I saw a bumper stick on somebody's desk. It said, get that son of a bush. <laughs> no, it said get rid of him. That's what it says. Okay. Anyway, we'll go to the law notes. Now, the law notes... We have an overview, which is just a few words that are nice, but they don't mean much. Um, we have the foundation right here, and the rest of it is supportive of the foundation, but the foundation is the most important part. If you're going to read this CD, I suggest that first chance you get, you read everything that's in the foundation, because... We're going to stop with this part of the video, and we're going to go back to the beginning where he suspended the judge, and I'm going to play uh, a segment from forms number 10, and that's where we're going to hear how he did that. Initially, in the beginning, he talked about suspending the judge where the judge can't make a decision for you or against you, and with that in mind, I want you to hear how he did that. And so here we go with forms number 10 from Bill Thornton. Okay. And so if I, if sometimes I'm shifting around paragraphs, so I'll cut it out here, paste it there. It automatically renumbers all the paragraphs. Never have to worry about the order. It's really a, a, a writer's dream, actually. Okay. Well, continuing on with this, that's the caption. Now, after the caption, you have the cause of action. Okay, so you specify the form, which in this case would be a court of record, and you identify the parties and their capacities if known. So 
Now, what we're looking at right now is what I call the declaration template. But here's a sample declaration that we've got. Everybody can read that, I hope. Can you see that okay from the back? Okay, so here we have a case, and this is modeled after a real case. And those complainer Joe, also known as people of the state of California, when we sued, my whole position, until shown otherwise, is that there's nothing wrong with the state. I own it. It's mine. The only problem I'm having is that the people that I have indirectly hired are not doing the job that I've hired them for. Okay, they're abusing their discretion and this type of thing. So I have no beef against the state. My beef is against these individuals. So I'll sue the individuals and hope that they will step, that, that the state will come in and say, wait a minute, these guys were doing their jobs. You should be suing me, not them. Now I can bypass the court of claims, you see, and say thank you very much. You know, I always want a deep pocket if I can find one. No, bypass the court of claims. So the court of claims is who you go through to initially. But when you already have a lawsuit in action and they step in and say, hey, we're the defendant, not these guys. See? So be it. Okay. Also, um, what you want is a policy maker in there. You've got to have somebody who comes back and maybe in his answer he'll say that it wasn't me, that, that I was just doing my job and that this is the policy. Thank you very much. Now you can add the state as a defendant. The state waives its, its uh, court of claims procedure when it volunteers to be a defendant. And if this, <laughs> you see, and if this person, I mean, all the court of claims is a 60-day delay anyway. Yeah. That's really all it is. So an agent or an officer that's acting as a, for an agency of the state can invoke the state then? In other words, by saying, I was just doing my job? Well, if he's a policymaker, sure. And judges are policymakers. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, they're 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 manager. Now, you know the, the the worker bee. You know the guy who's going out digging holes. He doesn't make policy. You know, and if he screws up, that doesn't mean the state's responsible. They tell him what his job is. If he does something else, and they, you know, you can't watch your employees all the time. But when you have the policymaker up there saying, "Hey, this is how we do things," well, thank you very much. Now the state's involved. And we have that situation in this in, in Aurora's case because when they did their demurs, they said the only reason we did not modify the suit is because we didn't want to extend it. We already got $20 million, okay? And, and we're already set up now because we knew in advance that all these guys are going to, to ignore us. They're not going, you know, they're going to play their power position. So, but now we're set up. Well, we've got them now. We're headed for the federal courts because the whole system is not responsive to law. So, and I expect that. And and then, if you read the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution says that whenever the state is a party, the Supreme Court of the United States is the court of original jurisdiction. Okay, so original jurisdiction means trial court. It's a court by right, not by privilege. See, a, appeal to the Supreme Court is a privilege. They can turn that down, but they can't turn down a case that's filed. Well, let's put it this way. They should. You know, the Constitution says that's the court to be in. So, you, you know, you look at, at the California Vehicle Code. It tells you right in there 
they have a, a section which uh, which says that if you accept uh, a license under the terms of the code, then you agree to the local courts hearing the cases. A little fancier word, but that's what they say. Okay, that's how they avoid the Supreme Court because you contract to go into a local court. Anyway, so I suspect uh, Aurora's case is going to be ultimately in the Supreme Court of the United States with California as a defendant, along with all those other clowns that thought they were having fun. Well, okay, now this, this is a sample case. It's verified, all right? Now, <clears throat> here's the key thing right here. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Bill. Yes. Uh, it sounds, when you deliver the statement, it sounds so easy now. But uh, I would like to make clear to everyone that uh, it's hard, sir. Uh, there's too much to tackle. But if you're not aligned to yourself to the truth that you would like to come out, that you just so pissed off. And so I don't, I don't want to be, sounds like one here. But I wish I could deliberately say those rules, but it's just that I cannot really say those rules. Well, but I'm pissed off. But I'm saying it's just not easy, sir. It just takes you the way you act because you have this belief. And well, belief. Laura, I suspect that most of the people here have been in jail at one time or another. And we all know the frustration and the energy it takes to put together a lawsuit. No question about it. You're absolutely right. This is... It's hard to keep your energy up. It's hard to keep a, a, the proper attitude and so on. The only way I make it so simple is if I separate my body to my head, mm -hmm. and then I could do my diligence behind the percent. I don't even have the feeling. All I know is the truth. That's why right. my application is all my intelligence. But I have to separate from my neck down mm -hmm. to my neck up, right. and that's the only way I could function. Right. Yeah, you do have to develop that remoteness to your own case. You know, it's, it's tough to keep an even keel. And when you write your papers, it's good to give it to someone else, some friend to read it, because they will detect that involvement you have. A person who's not involved can critique your papers. Even if they're wrong, they still, you should still have them critique it, because it may trigger your thinking or set you back. It's our nature that we have to have feedback on who and what we are and our writings. And I'll write things sometimes. I'll, I'll write something. I'll spend a day writing something, and I'll put it away for two or three days and come back and read it. And I make all kinds of changes as a result of that and because now I'm reading somebody else's writing. That's the way it seems. It's a good technique. So you do have to get that psychological separation that, that if you're too close to your case, it affects how you do things. Anyway... Well, anyway, here's what you do. On your, when you set up your lawsuit, you, you, you just say simple words. You say, like Robert Anderson, right, here and after Robert, is one of the people of California and in this court of record complains of. Right there, you have thrown in the bombshell, okay? When you say you're one of the people of California, that automatically means you're sovereign. You don't have to say you're sovereign. You are sovereign. Okay? Where did I get the word people from? One of the people of California. I got it straight out of the preamble of the Constitution. The highest authority. 
Yeah, we the people. The word people is plural or singular. What's either way? It's correct to say that I am a people. Okay? You are a people. All of you are people. Okay? It's plural or singular. The word people is not the plural of the word person. The plural of the word person is persons with an S. Okay? So, I'm one of the people, or I am a people. Okay? In this case, remember this. What's the purpose, the number one purpose of a court? Anybody remember? That's exactly right, to put on a show. So, when I write this, I'm writing this for the long years, not the long hairs. Okay? So, the, 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 I'm writing this for the, for the ignorant opposition. And I know they're ignorant. They go to school, they learn all kinds of procedure, but they don't understand the system. Okay? And so, they, I write this so that I slide things by them. And this is, this is a great one. You just say, I'm one of the people of California. The guy reads this, you know, yeah, 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 okay, one of the people, right? Moves on. But there's no significance to, of that to the attorneys. And in this court of record, complain of. Well, everybody knows that these are courts of record. They all keep a record. In fact, if you look up in Black's Law Dictionary, 5th edition, it says right there, a court of record keeps a record of the proceedings and has the power to fine or jail for contempt. Says that, I think, in the sixth and seventh editions, too. I don't know, maybe the eighth. Okay? But if you look at the fourth edition, not, it, it says that, too. But it also shows, says three more things. And one of the things it says is that it's proceeding according to the common law, which, you know, automatically throws out all the statutes. And it says that, it, that uh, the tribunal is independent of the magistrate. And it also says in the, in the penal code that all judges are magistrates, okay? So no judge is allowed to make a decision in a court of record. So right there in that simple statement, I've suspended the judge, I've established my sovereignty, and they don't even know it. And I'm fine. I'm comfortable with that, you know. I mean, That was Bill Thornton. And if you understood what he said, he suspended the judge. The judge can't make a decision for him or against him. All his uh, information comes out of Black's Law Dictionary because in the court of records, you have the ability to find the old contempt of court and the jail. And that if you're just one of the people, that's Article 4, Section 2, then you have immunities and you have privileges that the uh, uh, 14th Amendment citizen is not allowed to have. If you're a 14th Amendment citizen, when reading the 14th Amendment, it will tell you that you have to be born here or naturalized and you have to be subject to the jurisdiction thereof. In other words, you're not free. And so the difference between the 14th Amendment citizen and Article 4, Section 2 citizen is called liberties. Okay? And we're going to play a little bit more Bill. And we're going to listen to how he did this. Initially, we started off with, in one case where he suspended the judge, the judge missed it, the judge issued a second order, and then he issued an order to vacate the second order, just like he did the first order, plus he issued an order to find the judge and to hold the judge contempt of court. 
And a lot of people don't think that you can do this, but they have not done the study. They have not done the research. And so we'll get on a little bit more with Bill. we got about another uh, four minutes or so on this teaching here. And here's Bill. It is not my responsibility to educate them about law. After all, they all claim they are attorneys at law. They're all bragging that they know common law. Now, you notice he said they're all attorneys at law. Well, every attorney, when you see their card, will say they're at law. But in a court of record, you have to be an attorney. You have to be a lawyer in law. A lawyer in law, not an attorney at law. And so the attorney at law who's trying to apply himself cannot apply himself when you're in a court of record. He has to be a lawyer in law, not an attorney at law. And the difference is the two-letter word. One is at, the other one is in. Do the research. Here's Bill again. Secretly, I know they only know equity and statutes. But they, they make a claim, who am I to challenge them? I'm not there to, to quality control the lawyers. Uh, Mr. Bill, during the time I was understanding that uh, I would like to apply for proper, and then they said again that the 1368, I'm incompetent. You know that? Well, Penal Code 1368 has, deals with... 1370, yeah, 1370 in them paperwork, which is incompetence to stand trial. Mm -hmm. But during the time, I would like to apply for my being a proper so I could go ahead and see. I didn't know the, the meaning of between the Jewish Jewish and the proper. But guess what? That day, when I keep asking them, I wish to be released at the same time. I say I will, you know, deny I don't want to be a proper. And she said, she's a lady judge. She said, well, I cannot release you now, but I didn't know how to ask. Mm -hmm. why, what holds you up, you know, so I didn't ask that. But then I found that out that it didn't come to because I brought it up, there's a conflict of interest here. Mm -hmm. I thought there was a uh, claim <laughs> on this charge. Sure. So you have to really know what's going on and be aware, well, you know. You have to know what's going on that is true. Yeah. But on the other hand, you can't know what's all going on. Nobody knows everything, and it isn't always possible, especially when you're in, the, in, in incarcerated. It's not always possible for you to keep your wits about you. I mean, it's, it's tough to be in jail. Mr. Magistrate, sorry to interrupt. But... Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You can't talk yet. You're going to address me that way. of a number of sovereigns here I've been in. Yeah, what is it you wanted to say? As a representative of a number of sovereigns here, I request a motion of the court to take a break. Oh, right. Uh, granted.
what we say here in the first cause of action, Robert Melvin Anderson, here and after Robert, is one of the people of California and in this court of record complains of. So right there, by stating he's one of the people of the jurisdiction, in this case California, he's, he, in accordance with the preamble of the Constitution, he's established his sovereignty. Right? The people ordained and established the Constitution for the United States of America, or they established it for California, whatever it says. So uh, that, is, that gives you the sovereignty, and you don't have to brag about it. You just say it nice and quietly. And the court of record, that's all defined. And the key things here that we're interested in is the fact that the court of record is, uh, uh, <clears throat> it uh, prohibits the uh, judge from making any decisions because the judge is a magistrate. <clears throat> and the tribunal has to be independent of the magistrate. And who's the tribunal? Well, it's the king or the jury of kings. Okay. Now, we heard that there from Bill, and Bill says that the judge is independent from the tribunal, so the judge is just a magistrate and can't make a decision. And so you have to get all your ducks in the row in order to be able to resolve a lot of your stuff that you do when you go into court. And so this is some very valuable information that we put out tonight. We've got a good uh, uh, format laid out for you. If you want to take time to review this over and over until you get the hang of it, that's fine. If you'd like to ask some questions about it, we have the program on Tuesday nights. And we have it on Friday nights. And so you can come and join in. If you're just now listening to the tape or uh, somewhere along the line have come across this recording that we've presented, you're welcome to join us on Tuesdays and Fridays and get involved. Uh, you're willing to share any information that you have that would help make other people more productive and defending yourself against the injustices that are going on. Uh, hopefully next uh, next uh, program that we have, we'll have uh, a couple other speakers speaking about various things. Hopefully that we can get it or we can get it on the program. Again, this is Brother Shorty, and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to end the program. Uh, sorry that we didn't have any guests come in tonight, but, you know, uh, some days are better than others. And so here we are, uh, Seeking Justice Resource Community, trying to share some information to help people better defend themselves. And this is Brother Shorty, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you next time.